to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. Kaylee, you had the interview for this week and you spoke with Chaz Edwards, the co-founder and president of Pop-Up Magazine Productions, which I imagine is a very different company today than they were a year ago. Um, You know, yes, it is a very different business. Um, What used to be very much um, a sensory experience in large theaters in cities around um, the U.S. has turned into a video you know, focused business that also is innovating on the way that um, they're pretty much entering audiences' homes. Um, So it's been a change of pace, but I think considering the hits that, you know, they took to revenue and having to shut down California Sunday Magazine, um, Chaz was in, you know, pretty high spirits and pretty optimistic about what's, you know, coming up, um, future innovations, and also how they're working with sponsors, um, which I think is kind of an innovative approach in the current climate and also for the coming year. What stood out to you about that approach? Yeah, so I think what's interesting is that they had some of these different partnerships that really kind of went out of the box. Um, One of them was creating a magazine for Google at the end of the year about, you know, top searches. Um, Another one was, you know, working with a client of theirs to make a conference more um, exciting and adding those pop-up magazine elements of storytelling within the conference to keep their audiences engaged, which, you know, is something that battling Zoom fatigue and focused on, um, you know, keeping audiences who are staring at a screen 10 hours a day, you know, entertained. That's a big thing that companies are looking for. So I think that being able to offer that to those companies is a cool pivot and, you know, innovation point. And I mean, I think everyone's trying to figure out at what point do in-person events come back and how long do virtual events stick around for? Did Chaz have, did it seem like he's itching for in-person events to get back? Is he planning yeah. for that or is he thinking the virtual things here? To oh start? yeah. He's, um, they're already, I think, talking about when they can book venues again, because that he mentioned, uh, I think towards the end of our conversation that that's a process that has to happen months and months in advance. So I think that they're already trying to you know, maybe sign contracts uh, to get in-person events back in business, which, you know, obviously would only be done at a point when it's safe to do so. But, um, you know, that is a major revenue stream for them. They make a ton of money through ticket sales and uh, they haven't really had that revenue um, coming in for a while now. They've innovated and, you know, doing their issue in a box kind of models and things like that and making a membership model. But ticket revenue is a big source of uh, income for them. So they're excited to get that back. Got it. So it sounds like you both covered a lot of ground. So without further ado, Kaylee, I'll let you take it away with the conversation with Chaz. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Welcome, Chaz. Thanks, Kaylee. It's great to be here. So I guess it would be wise to start out with the beginning of, um, well, not beginning of, but the pandemic in 2020 and um, Pop-Up Magazine's pivot strategy. Um, I know at first, you turned to video, um, which wasn't typically something that Pop-Up Magazine did around its events. Um, you weren't recording them. You weren't sharing them on that medium. Um, but how was it, you know, moving to video? And um, I guess your ver- your first venture was shown on YouTube Live back in, um, what yep. was it, like late spring back in or May. summer? Yep. Yeah. How, how was that process? Well, you know, you're exactly right that sort of where we where we entered 
2020 is a company that put together live magazine shows and toured them around the country. And we would sell thousands of tickets and fill up a crowded opera house or Lincoln Center with fans. And we would uh, perform a magazine live on stage. Writers and filmmakers and illustrators and photographers and radio people would narrate their stories live to an audience. And we would accompany that with live music and with beautiful artwork and film and photography and animation on a screen. So all of that was shut down. <laughs> in uh, we, we finished our last national tour in February of 2020, and uh, the pandemic shut down theaters in March. So we had been planning on going on tour with our spring show in May, but we had to quickly uh, change plans for that. And so we retooled the our spring show and built it instead as, as a uh, YouTube premiere streaming show. And um, it was, um, you know, that was sort of one example among many that, that of, of things we did as an organization in 2020 in response to the pandemic. I mean, at, as, as you said at the opening remarks for a company that makes live events, uh, the pandemic has been had a very direct and negative impact on our business. The silver lining for us about 2020 and the pandemic is it was an opportunity for us to be very experimental, experiment with storytelling in different formats, storytelling in different contexts. And, and most importantly, uh, 2020 was a year that kind of gave us permission to get closer to our audience in a variety of ways. Yeah. So um, I guess the new audience approach and, and opening up to the geography of, of the internet, as you, um, as you mentioned, that would be the um, video initiative that you, that you took on. Um, correct. Yeah. So how did that um, perform for you? Like how was being on um, YouTube live something that um, helped to drive new audiences, as you mentioned? Yeah. I mean, so, so the, the first, the, the first, video experiment we did was back in May and we elected to make it free to our fans through the generous support of Google who sponsored the show. And what it allowed us to do was to take what was, take our spring tour, our May tour, uh, where we were planning to sell tens of thousands of tickets. And it allowed us instead to bring that show to millions of people. And so we saw an expansion of the the, the sort of number of people we could touch from tens of thousands of people to millions of people. And that was very exciting for us. So obviously you had the sponsorship of Google. Um, did you have, did you end up having another um, uh, video kind of show that you ended up doing in 2020 or are you planning to do more? And is having that model very dependent on having a, a big name sponsor um, to kind of support the cost of making it and um, you know, the worthwhileness of doing it since you don't have the tens of thousands of tickets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, so it's, there, there's sort of a, a couple of answers to that question. So, so yes, we did do more video projects in 2020 and each one was a little different from the last. Each one was, was in some ways an experiment in new ways to support our business, new ways to support our audience. And so I'll, I'll give you one example of, uh, of a project that we did uh, in September and October, which is 
uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, we launched a series of videos that were in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. And like our spring show, we uh, made it available on the internet for free. We had sponsorship from Google again for that project. But what we did that was different about that project was rather than just putting it out on the internet and letting people find it on their own, because it was a themed event, it gave us an opportunity to organize watch parties with Latinx organizations around the country in a new way. It, it allowed us to reach out to Latinx film communities, and there was a Latina creatives organization. There were school groups and, and community organizations. And so we organized dozens of watch parties where even though we couldn't be in a theater together, we could all be on a video conferencing experience together. And we watched video programming, but had an opportunity to engage directly with, with audiences. And so I mentioned that we did that dozens of times. We also had more than a thousand organizations self-organize watch parties. We created a, a resource guide, kind of a discussion guide around the stories in our Hispanic Heritage Month program that would help groups or families or communities or neighbors get together at a time when they couldn't get together physically and create a, a togetherness around stories. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I've always found um, interesting when we talked um, at the end of last year um, is the ability to kind of step away from the traditional, and I say traditional as in like the past you know, 10 months, but traditional virtual event um, setups. And uh, I guess it's it's not just, you know, you're sitting on your couch and you're watching something on a screen for 45 minutes. Like uh, you've done several of these types of community engagement building things um, that I don't think other publishers have done as successfully or as um, maybe frequently because it's still a very new medium. But um, can you talk about, um, I remember you were doing one with getting people to go for a walk um, while connected on Zoom. Like those types of I guess, activity-driven things. Like, can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, the, so something we did as part of our fall program, uh, we released a, a one-episode podcast as part of Pop-Up Magazine's fall issue. And we, as part of the public free show, there was a, an abbreviated version of that, a shorter version of that. And for members of Pop-Up Magazine, we released an hour-long story that was, that was a a story to take you on a walk. And we worked with many contributors from the Pop-Up Magazine community to talk about the experience of walking and where they walk. Everything from an astronaut talking about the experience of walking in outer space to uh, uh, a, a disabilities rights activist talking about walking with her seeing eye dog to a postal worker in Detroit talking about walking in the snow. And so we created... Um, this podcast. And as I mentioned, we, we released, anyone could listen to it on their phone, wherever they wanted to, but we wanted to use this as an opportunity to bring people together in a way that was safe from uh, the pandemic, but at the same time created community beyond just a flat piece of glass that they're listening to or watching. And so we organized two different, um, walking parties. We teamed up with Creative Mornings, 
we put out a call to our community and their community, and we had thousands of people RSVP to join us at a specific time of day. And the prompt was for all of us to take our phones, go outside to wherever we could walk safely, put on our masks. And we all dialed into a Zoom call from our phones so that we could see each other, say hello to one another. And everyone turned their phone, turned their cameras around to show us where they were walking. And what was wonderful about these events is that we had participants from four different continents, uh, something more than a dozen different countries, many languages spoken. And this also meant it was many times of day and many weather conditions. And so we got to see snow and we got to see sunshine. We got to see someone on the beach. We got to see someone in the woods. And we all said hello to one another. Then we turned off the sound on our video conference and we all did our walk and listened to our stories and then regrouped on the other side of it. And it was it was just a wonderful opportunity at a time when working from home and quarantining and staying safe has meant that a lot of us are separated from our friends and our neighbors and our families. And it was it was an exciting moment of togetherness across the Pop-Up Magazine community that was just a, a, a it was a just kind of a glimmer of goodness in a, in a very tough year. That I think ties into maybe how you were able to build a membership model um, during the end of last year, during last year, um, because, you know, memberships versus subscriptions, typically you need to have um, a, a really solid community of people um, within that. But um, I guess like, was a membership model ever in your like mind um, ever a thought process that you had going into um, 2020 as a, a potential business model? Or um, was this something that you kind of created out of necessity to replace the lack of ticket revenue, for instance, um, and, you know, drive other consumer revenue plays there? How did the membership model, like, I guess, was that something that was ever at the forefront of your mind before this? Yeah. It, so so membership as a, as a way to, our business has always had a component, which is our fans paying us directly for something we make. Um, so it's, that's mostly taken the shape of ticket sales at theaters, but we've, we've for a long time thought about other ways we could kind of deepen our relationships with fans in ways that are both enriching to those fans, but also, uh, supporting the business model by ticket sales or fees directly from readers. So it's something that, 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 that is, that we have thought about, talked about and considered, well before the pandemic, but the, but the pandemic did give us a new urgency for launching it. And, and I'd say an, ur- an urgency around the business model. That's the money side of it, but also an urgency around the community aspect. We, we, when, when we couldn't hang out with our fans at theaters around the country, um, we lost something and they lost something, which was, which was the togetherness around story. And so we saw membership as a way to start replacing that in, in this, in this moment before we can get back together in theaters. And so, you know, it's, it's, I I mentioned that sort of like we've done a variety of video experiments online. We've done some audio and podcasting experiences. What we found from our, when we talked to our audience about like what membership would mean for them, what we hear is it's less about a thing. It's less about send me an object. And it's much more about, create for me an experience. And uh, we, we did uh, something at the end of last year, which was creating 
an issue in a box, as we called it. We tried to imagine what would Pop-Up Magazine look like if it weren't in a theater, but instead were a package that we could mail to people's doorsteps and let them experience stories and immerse themselves in stories from home with a couple of friends. And so this, while there was a physical aspect to it, it was a physical box that was delivered to a doorstep and you opened it up and you had a zine inside it and a dish towel that was an illustrated art piece and some food you could eat. There were, there were objects in it, but that wasn't what people were paying for. People were paying for an experience that we helped facilitate for them. And so that really helped us kind of sharpen our thinking around membership, at least membership in the context of Pop-Up Magazine, which is how do we enrich the lives of our fans by creating experiences? Now, again, at some point post-vaccine, we'll be back to creating experiences in theaters. But but what 2020 has given us is a lot of experience in thinking about experiences that can happen in other settings, whether that's a box delivered to your home is, is one piece of the equation. And, you know, that we're going to be doing more of those. The first one was a box that we sold for $70 a piece. And for that first one, we also had sponsor support from Instacart to get it off the ground. Uh, but there will be more of those. Uh, we also found that as we started talking to our early members about what they needed from us, what they wanted from us, um, they wanted our help in using stories as a mechanism for togetherness. And so around Thanksgiving, one of the first things we did as part of our membership program was was to create, we created a little kit that was, that, that, that helped people, helped our members kind of create Thanksgiving experiences. Many people were going to be doing that with a very small number of people around the table. Perhaps they were going to be firing up Google Meet or Skype with family members uh, somewhere else. And we created a set of activities that were built around sort of the concept of storytelling as a way for people to create their own experiences, create their own events. And so so that is something, to your original question, membership has been something we've thought about for a long time. We accelerated the timeline for rolling it out because of the pandemic. And also because of the pandemic, we learned what what is most important about membership. It's about sort of access to the community, access to each other, and using story as a as a device to create those connections. To your point earlier, it's a silver lining of the pandemic is to really home in on what is important to audiences. Um, but to kind of touch on your business model a little bit, um, in a typical normal 2019 year, quote unquote normal, um, what I guess is the breakdown between your consumer revenue stream and your sponsorship, um, as well as I guess any other intertwined revenue streams there. Sure, sure. I mean, so in a in a in the world of 2019, we made money primarily through three sources. One from our fans directly, which is buying a ticket for a show. Two is sponsors at those shows. So that's if you've been to a pop-up magazine show, you might have seen Google or Amazon or Nike or Sky Vodka as a sponsor at those shows. That's the second way we've made money. The third way is what we call special events. Uh, these are private shows or corporate events or a show in a, in a special setting that we do in partnership with Nike or Zendesk or Apple or Arnold Ventures. Um, 
And so, so coming into 2020, those were the three ways we made money. Call it reader direct, sponsored events, and partner events. And as, as we've, the, the, the shape of those revenue models was, was changed pretty significantly in, in 2020. But, but those three approaches to us supporting the business have, have remained. We've just, we've just evolved what's, what's inside each one of them. So we talked a little bit about um, the reader direct opportunity, which is people buying issue in a box and paying us $70, but it's something that shows up at their house. We've launched a membership program, which is largely about experience and access to the community. Uh, we've done sponsored events. I, I mentioned Google and, and Instacart sponsoring and enabling us to create free video experiences that are streaming over the internet. We've also been doing a, a lot of um, that third bucket, sort of special projects, special events uh, in collaboration with partners. Um, so, and, 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 and this is also connected to what I was saying before about using this moment for us to expand our audience and meet new audiences. And so we're doing a project right now with Zendesk, which is bringing Pop-Up Magazine to a streaming tech conference. So it's, it's a live virtual conference and um, Zendesk has invited us to be a part of making that program feel more exciting, more intimate, more inspiring. Um, we are, um, and, you know, for us, it's getting in front of a, a, a segment of the business community that we don't necessarily talk to all the time. We, we just did a, an event. We just did two events at the end of last year for philanthropic organizations, one called Arnold Ventures, one called The Tipping Point, where they uh, enlisted our help to bring pop-up magazine-style storytelling to events to inspire their giving community to reach deeper at a time of need to help out communities and organizations they support. Um, we, we did a, uh, at the very end of last year, we did a, a, a super fun project in partnership with Google where we made a magazine, a print magazine, 52 page saddle stitch magazine, entirely inspired by Google's year in search project. And then we distributed this magazine to the Sunday readers of the New York times, the Washington post, the Los Angeles times, and it was a total of nine different metropolitan newspapers around the country, including in some markets where we've never been with Pop-Up Magazine. We distributed it to Sunday readers in Dallas, um, which is an audience we've, we haven't spent time with before. That's really interesting. I feel like there's a huge opportunity now with virtual events to bring in Pop-Up Magazine as a, um, I don't know, entertainment element to some, because Again, as I had said earlier, like virtual events can be very cut and paste, very dry to a certain degree. If it's just like this kind of panel model of, of you know, talking to um, a few people, having a conversation over Zoom and, and just kind of going with that. But I think, I guess, have you seen that leg of your business? Um, I guess, has that grown at all during this um, pandemic because some people are looking for more of that assistance from the creative side of um, media to help out with their virtual events. Absolutely. And I would say in two ways. One way is that, you know, you, you hear people talk about the phenomenon of Zoom fatigue, 
that that mm-hmm. many people uh, are are currently spending six, eight, ten hours a day looking at colleagues and partners in little boxes on their screen, and and so and, and mostly what we're doing is we're talking at each other in those little screens and figuring out where the mute button is. So so one thing that that um, has been an opportunity for us has been an opportunity that partners of ours have asked for our help in is, can we do something more interesting inside that video box? Can we make video conferencing more exciting because instead of a bunch of people talking at each other, we tell stories inside it? The second opportunity is that I, I, I would say that historically, and even in this moment, media makers tend to be comfortable in one medium and they, mm-hmm. they either make a magazine and they live in the world of print or they are radio producers and they are great in audio, but they don't really think about how video might be a component of the experience. And that, that kind of cross-platform, cross-media, multimedia experience is something that I, I, I think all of these events benefit from. And so the experiments that we've been doing at Pop-Up Magazine, which is like, hey, how do we, how do we connect audio plus video conferencing together, two different media formats, bring them together. And the sum of the parts may be greater than the whole, um, or, or the other way around. I think I said that backwards. <laughs> um, we're, we're bringing a lot of that expertise to brands right now. So, mm-hmm. so for example, I, I, I mentioned the, that we've been invited to a Zendesk tech conference and we will be programming video experiences that people can watch but we're also going to be coupling that with with something in a box so that people will be experiencing part of the the show mm-hmm. on their computer and part of the show physically as they're unboxing something that connects to that experience. Yeah, that is like I feel a really innovative way to kind of approach the pandemic because I know you you've worked with these brands to do kind of these um private partnerships in the past and and things like that but I don't know, in my mind, taking a, a virtual conference and putting a little twist on it. That's like a, a great pivot um, move in my mind. But um, so looking at the revenue model, you had these like three legs. Are they pretty much divided up in the same way that they were in 2019 as they ended up being in 2020? Or um, did, you know, consumer revenue, did that kind of fall a bit as you didn't have the the ticketing and the way that you anticipated having in 2020. Um, and you've made it up in some ways with the you know, issues in a box and then the membership model, um, which I meant to ask, how much is are you charging for a membership? So membership, we have three tiers, uh, three levels of membership. One is $39, one is $99, and one is $399. Um, so that's the pricing for membership. And in terms of our mix of consumer revenue versus uh, kind of B2B sponsorship revenue, as a as a percentage in in 2020, consumer revenue was a slightly smaller percentage of the overall mix, and that was offset by slightly larger percentages going to the to the corporate events. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, if you squint your eyes, it was the, the percentages were pretty similar, meaning that our business has always generated the majority of its revenue through sponsorship and special mm-hmm. events and a minority through the tickets for, for events that is still true in 2020 and will be true in 2021. Uh, but what, 
but the success that we're having from some of these consumer-facing experience in 2020, we're very optimistic about them in 2021. How large uh, has your membership grown to already? And um, you launched it this fall, correct? Like it, it's only a few months old? That's right. It's a few months old and, and our our paid products membership and the box, we're still measuring our success in thousands, not millions mm-hmm. yet. Um, so we're in the single digit thousands. Got it. Which I think is still an accomplishment considering it's only a, f- a few months off the ground, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, I think the, the, the raw numbers are, are still pretty modest. They are, what I will say is that they are better than we anticipated that they would be. So we've, we've found that uh, our, our audience has been enormously supportive of what we're doing and, have really embraced sort of embraced the products that we're releasing to them and participating in these programs. And they've just been enormously supportive of, mm-hmm. of us as a company and a community. And I did want to, I guess, touch more on the sponsorship side of things um, in the consumer facing side. Um, Google, for instance, being the um, presenting sponsor for your YouTube live um, premiere video um Mm-hmm. issue. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess, can you talk about how sponsorships compared to the in-person like um, theater events that you did? Um, those ones, I imagine you could probably monetize sponsorships pretty high, um, being in a concentrated area where people are all focused on a stage, on the presentation. Um, you know, how does sponsorship from the consumer-facing products compare now that you don't have that in-person element? If you boil down sponsorship economics into, you know, effectively a a cost per thousand viewers, you're absolutely correct, which is the effective rate that a sponsor will pay for an in-person audience inside a theater for two hours is greater than what a sponsor will pay for exposure in a digital video on the internet. So what what that means is it's very important as as we as a business have kind of moved at least temporarily from live events in theaters to events that are on the internet and parts of them are streaming video, we need to expand the numbers quite greatly. We need bigger numbers times a lower CPM to, to generate comparable sponsorship revenue. And what I, what's been very important for us at Pop-Up Magazine is, is that our model in working with sponsors has always been a part exposure to our audience and a part development of compelling story-based content for the brand. So if you've been to a Pop-Up Magazine show, you've seen our sponsors show up on stage. We actually, in between editorial stories, we perform live advertising, live sponsored content on stage mm-hmm. at Papa Magazine. And so we have a brand studio that is that that takes a creative prompt from a sponsor, gets a creative brief, and then actually develops uh, sponsored content assets. And so most of our audience is familiar with what that looks like in a live advertising setting. Uh, but it, we've been doing the same thing in terms of producing films for sponsors that can run in between the editorial stories in our streaming shows. So that's something that we've done with Google and we've done with Zendesk and we've done with Arnold Ventures and others. Um, And 
the other the other part of the those assets that we're developing are are things that we help them distribute, meaning we put them in front of the pop up magazine audience, mm-hmm. but also the brands own that content to put it in front of their own audiences through other channels. And that is something that in in the moment that we're in right now, many of our partner organizations have enormous digital footprints, have enormous followings in Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And so what we're finding is that our ability to help create compelling story-based sponsored content in a video form, in a digital form, in the case of Google, I mentioned as a print magazine form, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. Is like you have these mediums now to to expand upon that audience. Um, and I also was curious, like at the end of twenty twenty, um, you had these different opportunities to uh, have sponsorship revenue come into the mix, as you mentioned, um, and you could have it at a grander scale. But like overall, how was your revenue from 2019 to 2020 um, impacted? Like, did you end up taking a loss or were you able to kind of um, stay even or even grow last year? We were, uh, our revenue from 2020 was, was down from our expectations and was down from 2029. So revenue was down, you know, much of our business is, um, you know, as we were not going on tour and not mm-hmm. doing other activities, we were also worked very hard to manage our expenses to try to keep the the net impact as as limited as we could. But absolutely, so revenue was down in 2020. By 2021, I think that we'll be back to uh, 2019 revenue levels. Mm-hmm. And and if you take kind of the run rate of the second half of the year, where we anticipate. A, a broader array of of product offerings back in the market. I think we're getting back to our our previous growth rate starting as soon as the second half of this year. And of course, um, I'd be remiss not to at least express my sadness over the California Sunday Magazine um, having to to shut down. Um, I guess, like, is there any hope for um, readers that it could potentially come back with um, you know this year as long as I don't know. Your business model can add back in live, or yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so what we had to do this year, as you mentioned, is we had to we had to suspend regular publication of California Sunday, which is heartbreaking to me too. It's a, you know it's something that we've just had to do because of the circumstances of this year. But the the team here at Pop Up Magazine Productions, which is the team that makes Pop Up Magazine and makes California Sunday. Um, we we continue to think about special opportunities for us to do amazing things under the California Sunday brand. So that that may not mean us getting back to publishing an issue every other month the way we had been doing in 2019, but um, we are thinking about ways that California Sunday can bring amazing stories and amazing photography to the world in creative and innovative ways. Well, I think we are about at time, but any final initiatives for this coming year, the year we're currently in, um, that you're excited about taking on or, um, you know, any more product innovations? Cause you have done a ton this past year, but, um, the way we're looking at 2021 is number one, we want to kind of continue to expand on the experiments from last year. So where we've had success around membership, around issues in a box, you're going to be seeing more of that from us. Two is uh, 
we're tired of being inside. We're eager to get outside. <laughs> so, so in the first half of this year, when when the the pandemic is still in a very precarious situation, we certainly aren't going to be going to theaters in the first half of this year. But as the weather starts to get a little better, we're imagining ways that Pop Up Magazine can uh, get people outside, get people out in their neighborhoods, get people onto Main Street and reconnecting with community. So you'll be seeing some of that from us. And number three is um, we're excited to get back into theaters when the time is right. And so mm-hmm. because when you go on tour, you need to plan your schedule well in advance. You need to book venues. You know, when we do Pop-Up Magazine, we do it in very large venues. In, in New York, we do it at the Opera House in Brooklyn or Lincoln Center. We do the Ace Theater in LA. And places like that, you have to book months and months in advance. And so we are already beginning to plan our return to Pop-Up Magazine, the touring show, sometime late this year. So that's that's the third thing that we're excited about, and you'll be hearing more about that in the coming months. Well, thank you so much, Chaz, for joining us today and, and talking about your innovations and strategies looking at this year. Um, I really appreciate it. Kaylee, thanks for having me. Thanks again for tuning into the Digiday podcast. For more coverage of the media and marketing industries, check out digiday.com. If you're not already a member of Digiday Plus, be sure to subscribe to get exclusive content, research, guides, and more. Digiday Plus members also get access to weekly briefings from the Digiday Edit team, including our newest newsletter, The Media Briefing. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Digiday Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next week.